From Cerevelle Therapeutics, this is the Cerevelle Drug Hunters Podcast. Now here is your host, Cerevelle's Chief Scientific Officer, Dr. John Ranger. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's podcast on CNS Drug Hunters. My name is Dr. John Ranger, and I'm the Chief Scientific Officer here at Cerevelle Therapeutics. This podcast series is dedicated to exploring in detail the inner thinking and the motivators for driving the commitment of brilliant and talented CNS drug hunters who have found their career path through Cerebell Therapeutics located here in Cambridge, Massachusetts. It's a rare opportunity to get inside the minds of the people who are ultimately responsible for bringing important new medicines to individuals with debilitating diseases of the nervous system, such as epilepsy, Parkinson's, schizophrenia, and Alzheimer's disease. Join me now in speaking with Dr. Srinivas Chakalam. Senior Director of Drug Metabolism and Pharmacokinetics Department here at Cerebell. So, hey, Srinivas, how are you doing? Good. Thank you, John. Great. So, it's wonderful to have you here today, and welcome to the podcast series. It's my pleasure to be here. So, just to kick off, I think it always helps if you could introduce yourself a little bit and tell us the title of your department, and then maybe translate that into what that actually means about what you do, kind of on a day-to-day basis, so people kind of get a feeling for what it is you're doing here. Okay, thank you, John. I'm Srinivas Chakulam, as you mentioned, Senior Director of Drug Metabolism and Pharmacokinetics, which we call DMPK. My role here is mainly to oversee some of the activities related to compound characterization all the way from early research and take it all the way up to the end stage towards NDA submission. So what we do is basically understand the molecule more about its properties that can help in the absorption of the drug and also its distribution and how it is metabolized and eliminated overall. What you're administering and mass balance of that is what we account for. And in the end, we relate it back to what the what that molecule is doing to the body. So that way we get some efficacy information. We design how much of it has to be given and it, what a duration that has to be given and then try to understand are we at the right target with the right mechanism of action that that compound is doing for what we want it to do. And we do this mostly with a preclinical data in the beginning with using an in vitro system or the animal models and try to understand more, put all that data, summarize it to see how it should behave in the humans. Once we start to see the data from the human, then we try to go back and understand back and forth of where, like, where the improvement should be and how it should happen. And that's a cycle that continues till we find a molecule that's good for the therapeutic area that we wanted to be in. Yeah, and you didn't even touch on the brain-to-plasma ratio yep. data that you guys get for us. It's really critical, so well, maybe mention yeah. that for a second. Yeah. Okay, sure. Here at Cerebral, we are a CNS drug company. The important thing for us is to get into the, the molecules getting into the brain. So what we do a lot is to use the in vitro systems and the preclinical models, RAD and or the monkey or dog, to look at how much of that compound gets into the brain. Along with that, we also use in silico models to predict uh, what's the brain penetration of this molecule going to be. And again, being a CNS company, it's important for us to make sure that the drug or the molecule is getting into the brain and is acting at the right target at the right time to get the mechanism of action that we wanted to see. And all the molecules in early research, we put hundreds of molecules through this exercise to make sure that it's a brain penetrant molecule. Yeah, it's great. I think it's probably one of the most underappreciated parts of the drug discovery business. So I'm glad you could be here. Let's just get you comfortable first. And so to kick off, we have something we call the lightning round of questions. These are just five really kind of simple, don't overthink it types of questions to get you rapidly responding and not having to having to give a prepared answer. Okay. 
No, okay. no, I'll try no, my best. No, no trick questions. All right. So, Srinivas, if you could be anywhere right now, where would you be? I would love to be at my hometown, Hanamkunda, where my birthplace. I love that. I always dream about going back there. Great. So, what was your hometown like? It is a small town. It's like an educational town, like Boston itself. And then uh, uh, a lot of uh, minor simple things, very less crowded, but university type of an environment that it is there, very social. And then I wanted to do something more uh, charitable type of a work there to be more relaxed, more engaged with the people. That's what I wanted. All right. Very nice. So if you had to choose another career today, what would it be? I always dreamt of being a computer science engineer and that be the one that I, I still wanted to go back if I get any chance to do that. But I think I, I'll not be able to do it anymore now with the advance that it has gone through compared to when I had a passion for it. So, Nice. So if you had one word, or I'll give you a couple of words to describe Saravel, what would it be? It's an amazing place to be here for science. Who's the one person you look up to the most and that you try to role model yourself after? My father. And then the second one is the philosophies from Gandhi. I think that's the one that I look at as my role model. Interesting. So uh, what are the themes there between your father and what Gandhi's vision was for the world? So it's always to be... Uh, peaceful about the way you think about, about things and don't overthink. That's what <laughs> comes out. And the other thing is trying to be truthful. Like you can always see a lot of things coming at you, but if you put your mind to it, just be truthful what you are. You don't have to be anything else. Just be yourself and things will roll out in the way you want it to be. Great. So last of the five, so what is the best piece of career advice that you've ever gotten or any kind of life advice that you've gotten that you could share with us today? The best advice I got from my professor during my PhD program, I think uh, I still try to change it, but I cannot. The, the thing it was like whenever I try to tell a story, I try to add a lot of components to it and then try to tell. But he always advised me, try to be simple, make it very simple, one line thing. So that, that is the best advice I got. Excellent. Great. So we're going to switch back now and talk a little bit more about your experiences. Could you share with us today a little bit about what are some of the highlights of the experiences that you've had that have helped you shape your career, that have led you to joining us here at Cerebral? Maybe you could talk a little bit about what influence your childhood had and when you were thinking about career choice and how that kind of tendency as a, as a youth actually drove you kind of into this area of science. Let me go back to my childhood first. I, as I mentioned, like I was very much interested in computer science as that was something that was new introduced to our to us in the classrooms during school time. So I used to do programming very well. So that's where uh, that ambition to become a computer science became very much into me. When it was time for me to choose a, a career, whether it's a biology oriented or engineering, I always wanted to get into the engineering side of things. But uh, right before that choice, when I have to make, it was a month or two months before my father took me. My father is a professor of law. He knows the other professors in uh, pharmacy school at my town. That's one of the well-known College of Pharmaceutical Sciences throughout India. It's, it's, it's one of the top institutes in India. And I could get to meet these professors there. And they told me a lot of good things about uh, engineering, but it's mainly about the pharmaceutical engineering, how the tablets get manufactured, how they formulate these tablets, capsules. And then he gave me a simple example about our daily usage as like a shampoo. So he was, he's like a big advisor to the a big company manufacturing this shampoo. So he's like, 
see it looks so easy, but uh, you can look at the natural products that we use at home versus what we do with these companies. I gave the same formula to them, but in the form of uh, ingredients like a detergent or something like that. So those are the kinds of things that motivated and felt me like, okay, I'm in the same same town where this is prestigious institution is, and I'm getting an admission here. So in the end, from an engineering career towards pharmacy is what I went into. I always say I'm very fortunate to be in that uh, to get education in that institute because it's a well-known process. And uh, one of my pharmacology professor, I always remember him. He was working in this leprosy, one of the diseases that's more prevalent in rural India. His research was more to find medications towards it, but uh, the concept he had was you need to be with the patients to understand exactly how you are addressing the needs for them. And then he used to go over the almost every weekend and then make some students volunteer there also. So that's the inspiration for me to get into research and further into graduate studies afterwards. But one of the big challenges after my undergrad in pharmacy school was the option was to, to go into a sales or a marketing side of the thing or to get into research. But research is very difficult to get in in a good institutes uh, in India. It's like there are only very few you can count on the top, like 10 or 12 throughout India. And then to get into the institute that I am in, it's impossible. So I had to choose an option of applying abroad versus being there also. And fortunately, or how it changed my life, I got admission in Northeastern University here for an integrated PhD program. That was something that my parents were like doubtful about. Okay, do you really want to go there all the way there? Or you can be here the happy life. You have a pharmaceutical sciences degree, you can own a, a medical store here, the life will be happy when you want to go all the way to US. And then the other thing is my father is very much interested in research because he's a, actually a PhD from him, uh, for himself. He's like, I would encourage you to do research. My mom was on stage. And then in the end, uh, I followed my father's advice to come here. And then he did give me a lot of information about their research and some of the colleagues here uh, to talk to them to, uh, to regarding that way, whether you really wanted to be in research, talk to them and then find out what it is. So the feedback that I got when I spoke to contacts was pharmaceutical industry research is very important. If you're really interested, then get in. If not, then it's not, uh, don't go for it. It was the advice that I got. So then, uh, then I came to Northeastern here. I was more interested in the pharmaceutical engineering as I talked about, and then uh, pharmacokinetics was another thing that I developed a lot of passion for during my undergrad. The, the reason for that was because there was a lot of coding, a lot of softwares there. You could, <laughs> you could feel that some computer science thing. I went there and then uh, I joined in the Department of Pharmacokinetics with Dr. Mary Bajordi. It was my first year and uh, after that, I could see most of the studies being done with the HPLC analysis, so like a tamoxifen for breast cancer tumor, and then how we go after some resistant tumors was the research work that was there. I, I started to continue there, but unfortunately, he left the university after a year, and then I have to go into somebody else lab. So that's where I went to Professor Vladimir Torshalin. He's the uh, he was the uh, head for Center for Drug Targeting. Again, another interesting area where you really wanted to target the drugs, uh, and that was mainly using therapies for immunotherapy and immuno oncology was the focus to develop antibody drug conjugates or antibodies, and then uh, try to deliver them using liposomes or micelles. 
it was a well uh, NIH funded uh, uh, laboratory and I could get in there and spend a lot of time. During that time, again, initially was more about isolation and characterization of a monoclonal antibody for my hybridoma cell line that I was working with. I always feel this lucky to get motivated. I think I one uh, one of the conference was the Northeast AFES chapter conference that I went across the pharma schools here, and I just went. I was thinking this is just a lab work with isolation of a monoclonal antibody that I'm presenting and how I characterized. And then I, I had a poster up there and just trying to socialize with all the other kids. At the end of it, I was surprised that my poster got the first prize. It's an outstanding uh, research award. That's two years into my program. That motivated me a lot. Wow, I, I, I never thought somebody would recognize the importance of the work that way. And then that was a continuation of the uh, program for me to continue and to complete the PhD. In between, during that first two years, I was always doubtful whether I'll complete my PhD program or should I just go back to a pharmacist as a pharmacist, work as a pharmacist. So, those were the motivations, and then the advisor, Vladimir Torslin, as I said, he was very helpful for me. Yeah, he he provided the grant for the and the tuition waiver during my study there, and then we get to understand a lot about these novel therapies. And at that time, uh, something delivery of the DNA or mRNA to the tissues was something challenging. If you think nowadays, where after 20 years from now, if I see it. The concept we are studying at that at that time, 20 years back, has become fruitful. So it takes time, but the advance and the knowledge uh, that was there within Boston because of the collaboration between MIT, Harvard, and all the universities around here, I always feel lucky to be here, and that's the motivation for my career to get in. During my PhD program, again, as I said, because I was talking to a lot of these industry folks, how they develop the drugs before joining, that motivated me to go into industry after my PhD program. And I, the first thing I joined was Vertex Pharmaceuticals. And as an intern was the position at that time because it was more like a, a dot-com bus. There were a lot of layoffs and the economy was all going down. Vertex was also downsizing at that time and the group that interviewed me for it. Uh, uh, so then I was like, okay, I don't know how it will be, but I'll continue as an intern. and. Luckily, there was nothing to look back. I got fully accepted into a scientist fund position there to deal in the DMPK group. We were looking after pharmacokinetics, and because of the work that I'm doing, I got into project management, leading the projects. And, and I feel very lucky to be there because I could oversee approval of at least four compounds all the way from, I have seen the first RAD data to the approval and commercial launch. Meanwhile, I had I heard a lot of stories in these uh, HCV or cystic fibrosis therapies so where the patients were telling and then what's the change that was bringing and that actually I unforgettable experience for me. That's a really nice story. So one of the things that you keep going back to is you like to go into the computer science, but you seem like you've had a lot of success in the pharmacokinetic side. So what is it that you're missing that you feel like you need to go back to the computer science for? What's this job not offering you? Out of curiosity. So the way I so the way I keep telling about that is what I understood a lot there was the logical way of putting things something completely something that you're making a thing to do what you wanted to do right like and for that it really involves a lot of steps. Say if I'm speaking now, how do you make a computer speak? 
So that involves a lot of programming and then a lot of step-by-step -step things to be fed into it. And what we call it as AI now, it's a very similar thing, right? So, so that is the passion for me because whenever I wanted to do something, okay, how do you get there? What are all the steps that are required to reach there? But that is, I think, is the, is the background for the passion for computer science engineering. Basically, you need to be a very rational, very logical. There will be a lot of errors, but how you correct them and then navigate to get there. Okay, so it's a create versus a confirm kind of a approach, maybe. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Cool. Just to continue on, so could you tell us a little bit more about when you first came to Servo, how you actually learned about it, and then, you know, what was it specifically that piqued your interest in, in this company? Because obviously you were very successful at your, your prior company, and so what was it about Servo that was attractive to you and, and encouraged you to, you know, kind of further develop yourself? And then as you're thinking about what's next, you know, how does this kind of fit into your ultimate kind of life plan, I guess, as you're thinking about like longer term after Cerebell? As you mentioned, I had a very good career at Vertex Pharmaceuticals. I was doing that. It's almost 16 years. And that, that was at that point, like I was thinking about, okay, I have seen the drug development. I have seen the approvals coming through. I have seen how this is being done. And as part of that, I was actually reading a lot because one of the things to be in research is to uh, to be on the top of the work that you are doing. So you read a lot of articles, what the, uh, these different therapeutic indications. And one thing that stood out at that time was uh, neuroscience, basically Alzheimer's uh, was the one thing. And then uh, addiction was the other thing that I, that I was very much interested in because of the opioid addiction. There was a lot of things that was going on. I was thinking into it like uh, I was involved a little bit in some of those rare disease programs that I had worked there, mainly Frederick's ataxia or the ALD, adrenal leukodystrophy, but the rare diseases that I was getting involved. But when I look at this big picture for these, it's an unmet need and uh, there, there is a lot of potential for it to be grow just like oncology was the thing that I was thinking about. And I met Sridhar Dhuri, the head of clinical pharmacology here in the library in the same town. And uh, he told me, like, okay, I'm moving from uh, Pfizer to this small company, Cerebral, which is formed. It's basically a spin-off of Pfizer with Cerebral assets. They are looking for a DMPK, uh, somebody to <laughs> look at the DMPK aspects of it. And Bill, the research team also there was, the, was that he mentioned to me. And then I was thinking about it somehow. He said he was on the resume to you, John, and then I got a call from you. At that time, I was thinking, oh, should I do it or not? Should I do it or not? I was a lot of dilemma. But in the end, the neuroscience aspect of it was the one that was very interesting for me. And when I looked at the cerebral website, what I learned was the Parkinson's disease and the schizophrenia. And then we had some PDE4 inhibitors, which are, again, anti-inflammatory effect that you can look into. And then the addiction component of it, OUD, was the one that's listed there. So as I mentioned, like OUD was something of interest to me. I thought, okay, this is a good, center, a good sign that some interest I can go apply what I learned. Probably I should try something different from what I'm doing regularly. So that was the motivation for me to come into Cerebral. And then the other challenge that I, I had was to build this DMPK group, right? So I'm doing this stuff on my as an individual basis, but when you try to build a group, what it needs to be is something completely different from my career before. So those were the two aspects I thought are new to me and I can 
uh, see if I fail, probably I'm not going to lose anything. I, I already had a good success before. If I'm successful, I will try to get something new out there was the, was the rationale. And after four years here, I, I can say I'm actually very happy that I made that decision and the progress that we are making towards the neuroscience. I definitely is more motivated to see something getting approved in the, in the different indications here. That will be a big achievement for me. I, I know the challenges in the neuroscience are very difficult from, from the beginning. We were thinking like the failure rate. I tell everyone in neuroscience, the failure rate is 99%. So don't <laughs> invest in the neuroscience company, but invest somewhere else is the way I tell. But, but this is challenge I took up and I'm very happy about it. I love the team around here. I like my day-to-day -day work. I get motivated every day with the new things that I see here. Really good. So that kind of goes into the next question a little bit. So as you say, what we do is uh, really hard. We fail a lot. You know, some days you get out of bed and you're like, you know, do I really want to do this again? We climb huge mountains every day, right? So what is it about Cerebell or about your team or about who you get to work with that, that inspires you and really keeps you motivated to keep coming back every day and keep keep trying to climb those mountains? I always like challenges. So I think when I see here, I know the team, it's a very talented team that we have here, whether I look at all the colleagues and then the way they talk and then everybody went through this process and everybody knows what is important here. So that uh, motivates me a lot to come here to talk to people and there is a lot of shared experience. Okay, you know there is a trouble, but how do you overcome that? Coming up with innovative solutions is what you need. And to get come up with those innovative solutions, again, you need the exp experience that everyone has gone through. I think that's the motivation for me here. Like I can say, there is a failure, but there is that experience that is around me here where we can always say that experience, if it is combined, it will always be fruitful and successful. So, and, and I believe in it. Cool. So let me just follow up on that a little bit. As you know, we're always trying to outthink Mother Nature, all this huge need to be creative and, and outthink the kind of classic challenges that, that most companies face. So, you know, if you think back on your experiences growing up, where does your creativity originate? Where do you go to come up with that really cool idea? I think you already touched upon it, the Mother Nature, right? So, so that is what I always think about. It is from there, if you think about what the natural process is, you should always be able to come up with an innovative solution there. So there is always this mechanism. If I look at the nature, I always think there is that once you increase it, there is other way to compensate for that. Once you decrease it, there is other way to compensate for that. If you try to understand that, it's more of the same thing that you look at uh, when I look at a human body also, right? The homeostasis somewhere, it has to be balanced and you can get there if you try to understand the deeper mechanism what is involved. Or you can always come up with an approach where how it's being done somewhere else and apply the same here. So that's where the innovation or the creativity is coming. Very cool. Just going back, so something that we didn't really talk about yet is what's the long-term career goal for, for Srinivas? What's he going to be doing and talking about right before he goes into retirement? <laughs> so for the long term, I think I always think about, as I said, getting these novel medications for the uh, patients, mainly whether it has to do with Parkinson's disease, Alzheimer's disease, or the addiction. I think if we have a treatment where the current treatments are all, I think, symptomatic and then they just work for some time, but they are not like a chronic use one. 
And that's where I think trying to address something, a, a component of the Alzheimer's as a disease modifying one, because uh, it's always uh, bothers me when I see someone with Alzheimer's. I did I have some distant relatives and those ones who went through Alzheimer's where they were so active, young, very, very good, very motivating to talk to. And then suddenly one day you see them, they, they are asking you what happened, who are you, type of a question. And that's the one that I always think people should not go through. Our life has to continue. At least a good quality of life should be there for everyone when they when they are in their old age or even when after retirement people. So, And I don't want to be in that stage too. That's another motivation for me to be involved, to get these new medicines or to come up with something when I have this opportunity in the research area that I am doing. Very good. You know, a lot of people probably understood maybe 10% of what it is that you do, just to be just to be honest. So if you had to come up with a simple message for folks that are listening today on what the most important thing is that they should walk away with about what you're doing and why you're doing it, what would it be? So the most important thing that I do is basically trying to identify a molecule from tons of molecules that are being synthesized, which can be effective in treating a disease and then can be easily accessed by everyone out there who is in need of it. I think that's, that's the simple message I can give. That's a great one. Well, thank you very much, Srinivasa. You know, I've uh, really enjoyed our time together. It seems like every time we have a chance to talk, I learn something more from you. So I appreciate that. I want to thank you again for participating today and sharing your, your personal experience and your background. And uh, just really wanted to give my gratitude. Thank you. Thank you, John. It's my pleasure to be here just to talk about it. <laughs> Excellent. So thanks, everyone, for listening into today's podcast on CNS Drug Hunters. This is a podcast series dedicated to give everyone a rare opportunity to get inside the minds of the people who are ultimately responsible for bringing important new medicines to individuals with debilitating diseases of the nervous system. With that, be well, everyone. I look forward to being with you next time. Now let's go find in some important drugs. Thank you.